Hello, and thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel, a podcast where we shatter the glass ceiling for women in law. I'm your host, Stephanie Watchman, and I've been coaching and training women attorneys all over the world for nearly a decade. Women lawyers, no matter where they are in their careers, face many challenges, frustrations, and some fantastic opportunities. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing experts to cover many of the issues I get asked about, like managing stress, career growth, law firm leadership, self-confidence, business development, and even planning for retirement. My goal is to provide you with the tools and tips you need for your own professional growth. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome Hillary Blair to the show. Hillary is obsessed with communication, presence, story, and the sharing of voice. She works extensively across the business world, guiding and challenging the enthusiastic and reluctant to like to share their voice while communicating more powerfully. Hillary and her team at Articulate Real and Clear work with clients in the corporate and professional world. Clients include individuals and teams from Roche, Maersk, Maxar, ACLU, and MD Anderson. Hillary is a professional voiceover and stage actor who's been teaching for over 35 years. You can hear her on many training videos, webinars, on a series of Nintendo games, and narrating the planetarium film at the Museum of Nature and Science in Denver. And she also has a TEDx talk. She holds a BA from Yale University and an MFA from the National Theater Conservatory. She also rides a unicycle and binges on Netflix. These days, we all do. Let's dive in. Hillary, welcome to the Glass Gavel. I'm so happy to have you here. Delighted. Yes. I just wanted to say also that um, I watched your TED Talk, and for anybody that's listening and watching the podcast, her TED Talk is amazing, and we'll put a link in there as well. Thank you. <laughs> really, it's a hard thing to do, and I, I really I really enjoyed it. Um, in, in doing a lot of research on you and knowing you for a few years, one of the things that I love that you said is something about how you separate comfort from confidence. So a lot of the women that we work with in, in the practice of law, you know, they feel really nervous. They have self-doubt, lack of confidence. Very often, like they're gonna have to go up against opposing counsel, whose job it is to challenge them and make them feel uncomfortable. Or maybe they're a, a very young associate and they have to turn in a brief to a senior partner and that senior partner knows a lot more than they do and they're in front of a client and this young associate is like not in agreement but won't say anything because they're like well they're older they're the guy they know more so can you talk to us a little bit about this whole idea of you know separating comfort from confidence i was working with a group and they were it was a mixed group mostly women but a mixed group and i kept hearing the women speaking to the fact that they were out and they were all medically trained at various levels of degrees but all medically trained and they were walking to these spaces rooms one-on-ones groups and every single one of them kept reporting back and then i i lost my confidence and then i just didn't have any confidence and it kept i kept hearing that and i was like wait a minute whoa 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 really or are you uncomfortable? And that was when the light bulb went off for me and for me personally, that we have been equating those, substituting them. The idea that if I get uncomfortable, I say that I've lost my confidence. We use the terms interchangeably all the time. Some people who, if you're a speaker and you have this monitor down in front of you, you speak to different tech people. Some people call it a confidence monitor. Some people call it a comfort monitor. 
Like it's the same monitor. And it, it has made me realize over and over again in multiple places that we have equated those. And by doing that, we believe people have given up their power. They've given up their, they've given up their confidence in a way, right? There's an, an irony there. So the idea of simply reframing the use of the words, yes, words are worlds and it's just words, right? So I want to kind of hold both of those simultaneously. If you can say to yourself, all right, I have to hand this brief over and I am feeling super, maybe insecure. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Instead of saying I'm losing my confidence, it is, it's much less of a hill to climb, a mountain to climb. I feel like if you say I've lost my confidence, we're like back to square one. How do we build our confidence back up? How do we move forward? Instead of saying, actually, I'm confident and I'm competent. So we're going to talk about that as well. I'm confident and competent and wow, super uncomfortable. <laughs> and embracing that, we sometimes say to own the awkward, to own our awkward. I and love that. Me, yeah, yeah. So it's amazing to me how often we see people say, oh, my heart started racing. And they give all the indications of feeling uncomfortable. I was tripping over my words. I didn't know what to say next. I lost my confidence. I'm like, no, super uncomfortable. And I don't think that I really want one of my attorneys to be super comfortable and casual when they are in a heightened setting where they're really calling on their greatest learning and their deepest knowledge. I want them to be like, okay, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm, I'm feeling awkward at times, super confident. Like right now I'm being interviewed by you. Am I comfortable? No, not at all. I'm seeing your face, right? I'm like, I'm not comfortable. It's, it's awkward. I'm like, am I giving value? Am I going to look at the camera? Am I looking at you? It's this virtual world. I have a battery pack on, you know, all kinds of things. Am I confident? Yes. I have a lot of important information. I'm repeating it from different angles because I want us to feel the difference of, okay, I'm a confident human being and that doesn't mean arrogant. So I want to see if you in your head, if you're saying, yeah, I'm confident, I want to make sure you already don't have self-talk coming in and saying, that means I'm arrogant. No, it means you're confident. And what's really wonderful is that confidence makes everyone around you relax. Confidence does. You don't have to be comfortable to make everyone relax. We're in uncomfortable situations all the time. And I also want to bring in competence. Our competence, competence, if I can speak, is at a certain level. And because someone comes in with more knowledge, it doesn't lower my competence. My competence is still here. There are always going to be people with more knowledge or less knowledge. I get to know what I know. It's amazing to me. People are like, I oh, know I, I don't have any competence. I lost my, I lost my confidence. It's like yeah. throwing out all of our strength. But a lot of what I, you're saying is- Yeah. Tell me. Tell right. me it was like well, a lot of what you're saying has like the power of the word, you know, like you're saying the word competence, or if you're saying confidence like these words have so much meaning and so yeah. much power i lost my confidence like you just give it all away it's the power of that word yes and your attorneys you're focused on the power of the word so you understand that the nuanced difference between those words it matters i mean stephanie if i say i love you or i like you i mean 
we're just colleagues. So it lands differently, right? I mean, we can say in the universal world, I love you. But that idea of I really like you, that I, it's different. It lands differently and it sends us down different roads. The nuanced language that we're using inside our head is important and connected to the idea of feeling insecure. That's really a very specific to an incident. I'm feeling insecure in this moment. I'm not feeling insecure about the language I used in that brief. I'm feeling insecure about what's going to happen with how he's going to receive the message. That keeps it isolated and specific versus, boom, my confidence is gone. Yeah. That's exactly what we do, right? Like, oh my gosh, I had to speak up in this meeting. I had to interrupt the boss and I lo- I lost all my confidence. It's like, no, that's not what you're saying at all. No, in mm-hmm. this moment, you know. You were awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and we really want you to hang on to that confidence. And I want to mention that age and gender are huge elements of communication and the package we come in, right? So we, we use that term to cover a lot of different elements of our beingness, right? So what we look like, our age, our ethnicity, our race, all of those things are part of this. And to pretend they aren't is missing the fact of human beings connecting and all of the information that impacts that. And it's important to not think that you, Stephanie, and me, that we're going to communicate the same way. We're not. We have different personalities. We show up differently. And we both present as white women, right? So we present as that and different ages and very different. And so that idea of allowing for that and recognizing that and honoring people for feeling that, like, what am I feeling? You are feeling something. To deny that people are feeling something is where I think we do a disservice to each other as a a group of women. Like, yeah, you are feeling something. Yeah. And it's legitimate because there are so many, especially in the practice of law, we have so many different backgrounds and ethnicities. One of the, uh, something that came up with one of the lawyers I was working with, and and this is like, this really got my blood boiling, (laughs) to be totally honest with you. Yeah. So I was talking to a senior partner and hopefully he's not listening to the podcast. It's mostly for (laughs) women, this podcast. But anyways, he was saying, look, I don't mind women in positions of leadership. Like, I don't mind. That's my first issue, but that's uh, on the side note. But do they have to like cry and do they have to get so squeaky, (laughs) squeaky when they get upset? I mean, this is for real. This is a senior partner in a very big law firm. I'm not going to say which country, but you know, not here, not in this state, another country. Anyway, and I was like, do men have to throw um, themselves and, and, you know, you know, punch doors? But I really wanted to bring up this whole idea as a when, when we don't feel confident, sometimes we do lose like our voice or does, I know for myself when I'm nervous or if I have to give a big talk, sometimes like I have to check my voice like, oh boy, where did that go? That What, what is that squeaky sound coming out of my mouth? So can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. I'm going to come from a couple angles. One is we're talking about standards from executive presence, right? And if we think about executive presence it in using those terms, that has been established by who has mostly been the executive. And when we ask everyone to follow that, and I've been teaching executive presence, EP, talking about it for a long time, we have to be aware that that's a really limited lens. And that's a limited uh, set of expectations for what it means to be present. So squeaky doesn't fit into that because think who has set the standards of what it is. And crying doesn't fit in because if we're talking in the gender realm, we're going to say women more easily cry. He's saying that men also cry one across. I mean, let's not even be 
um, binary here, right? Let's be across the whole spectrum. Humans cry. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. What has happened is defining that executive presence, what we think is professional as sort of pigeonholing in that really limited view, we are missing out on this whole realm of human expression. That's my first thing. Mm -hmm. So then I want to mention that because we have a world we live in and the world we want to live in, <laughs> the world we live in has some of those expectations we're still dealing with. We have where we're going and thank you, Stephanie, for getting upset and blood boiling. <laughs> so we'll talk about some of the other things that even while you discussed that, some of the things that you did physically, we'll talk about some of those, which are super great, that if that's not the world we're in yet, we're going there, we're and who knows what the journey will be to get there. Because of that, the things I want to mention have to do with breath and tension. Two things. If you remember breath and tension, I'm going to come back to breath and tension because I want to mention if we think about standards, if we think about if I'm, let's think of a traditional female role, caregiving to small children. All right. And if we're in that and they don't use a squeaky voice or they don't have some tears and empathy with a small child or a baby, we'd be like, whoa, you're scary. Get you away from those those babies, those children. Yeah. Right. So the idea that professional and we're talking in this realm is very specific to this profession to okay. this, what we're talking about here versus other professions. So I just want to be aware of that. So it's not like across the board, squeaky voice and crying are poor, right? It's not seen as right. that lack. So I want to make sure of that breath and tension. When we get, feel that nervousness or that emotion coming on, emotion in the realm of tears, upset, anger, we tend to hold our breath. Our those of us who are in the performing industry, we have learned how to what we call Foley tears in movies. What we do is we do it at the end of our breath. So no one cries like this, just so you know. <laughs> we don't take a deep breath before we cry. We actually, <laughs> it's at the very end of breath. I'm saying that because when we feel tears coming and I do work with people who have to do eulogies and other things and professionals, if you breathe, through your tears, if you allow the breath to flow, the tears tend to dissipate. We tend to cry with a held breath. Easier to practice at home with your loved ones. <laughs> so, so purely as a tool, realize that if you are having that, I'm not talking about the man who said that to you. I'm talking about you recognizing right. that you will tend to hold your breath more the more he says that. Instead, exhale. Interesting. The tears will tend to brim and then dissipate. And it's a really, it's completely counterintuitive and super important if you want to be able to maneuver through the tears. We cry at the end of breath, not with full breath. So allow the breath to flow. That's brilliant. Love that. So the second thing with squeaky, it's completely connected to squeaky. We hold our breath when we're frustrated, when we feel threatened, right? That's our body's defense mechanism. Fight, flight, freeze, faint. We go, we hold our breath. Am I going to beat you up? Am I going to faint? Am I going to run away? I don't tend to instinctively exhale and allow a big breath to come in. That's not that we have to be trained to do that. So when we feel a threat coming, our body tries to take care of us. It tightens us up. It tightens our breath. And then we go here. So my breath, now I've tightened my breath up and now I happen to be small and I'm a female and I have, I have a higher voice, thin vocal folds for that, right? Short and thin, high voice, annoying shrill, 
goodness, all of those things that we get called squeaky. <laughs> and some people even have squeakier voices, right? That tends to be because the breath is held. So I brought the breath back in. I have not lowered the pitch of my voice. My voice is still high. It's still here. And this is the breath in. If I were raising it, it would be up here. Or if I were lowering it, it would be down here. It's a different element going on. It's back to the breath. When the breath flows, we have a what we call a balanced stereo. So the breath flows, it brings in that resonance. It's easier even with higher voices. It's easier on the ear. The, hard, the higher sounds are harder on us, right? So when it is a tighter sound, it can be that shrill sound that, oh, we're running into so many potholes here. So yes, yeah, so bring on the potholes. So when we have that shrill voice, it can be startling that higher sound. And when it gets tighter and tighter, we might not even be responding to the pitch to that. We're responding to a tightness. We're connecting the two. The default of lower voices yeah. is just as, well, no, not just, it has a different impact. It's really hard to understand when people default to the lower voice like this, right? It's really often hard to understand them, especially on a digital signal. The thing is, we'll ask them what, what? And they'll repeat it. And we tend to appreciate that kind of deeper tone. You can't understand it, but you appreciate it. Higher shrill is annoying. What we're looking to do is balance them together. The voice is designed to have the breath flowing so we have the resonance and the higher pitch tones coming through for the clarity. We need both. Some of our classic movie actors that we think of as having that deep voice, they aren't only rumbling, they have the higher tones and it helps. So I've gone into a lot of detail there. The main thing is when we get nervous, we hold our breath. When we hold our breath, we our voice has that limited pitch sound to it. It's we're limiting how much resonance it has. And it has that younger squeaky can. And then when I get even tighter or push it, it gets shrill. So we're but looking like, to allow that. Yeah. I love that whole idea of the breath, but a lot of people who are not in, uh, who've never studied performance yeah. or who've never studied breath work, um, don't even know where their diaphragm is necessarily. I mean, they know where it is. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. They don't know how to use it. Do you have any tips on how to practice this whole concept yeah. of using your breath? So my main thing is to practice the exhale. That is the number one misconception is that they're like, you need to take a deep breath. And most of us, when we take a deep breath, we tighten our shoulders and we take a shallow breath. So if we go to our instinct, when you're frustrated, you don't go, when you're frustrated, you go, <laughs> Ah, so our instinct of frustration is what we want to go to allow that, or even a sadness. We sigh out ah. when we exhale, we reboot our system to get rid of the CO2 drop in and allow our vacuum, our natural vacuum to make space and allow oxygen back in exhale. And we exhale when we speak. So if you have, so let's say you're a senior partner and you say something that makes me hold my breath and I'm like, oh my gosh, can I ask you a question? If I use that phrase, I'm exhaling on it, extra exhaling. Can I ask you a question? Can I clarify something? I want like something, come up with a phrase that you practice exhaling on to let the air back in. It's connected to our athletic selves, our athletic selves know this. And I don't care if your athletic self is vacuuming or running a marathon, doesn't matter. 
the idea is we need breath on our body and we exhale to get that oxygen in. So, so, that is huh. so I have a couple, huh? Right. That just helps me get rid of that. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be careful. Like, you know, we don't want to do that probably in the middle of a, of a, of a talk with someone who's irritating us. Right. But we can go, huh? This weird woman was speaking on a podcast. Yes. It helps with the excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I think that's a great piece of advice because most of the time we hear like, do this, do that. But like, then how do you do it? Like, how do you, yeah. how do you practice that? Yes. And start noticing where you do it instinctively. Start noticing where you do it with the people that you love when you regroup with children, with other loved ones in your life. You will tend to do a, even with pets, you know, you're like, you're not, you're like, okay, I got it. You chewed up another item that I love, right? So, so we exhale to regroup. So we want to extrapolate that instinct to a situation where we're feeling a little hijacked. Our emotions are hijacked. Our breath is hijacked and get back in control with an exhale because that allows the air back in. So a lot of what we're talking about here is like having self-awareness. One is to say, you know, am I in discomfort? Am I just being awkward here? It's okay. It's just, yeah. it's totally, you know, I, I maybe I am not confident in this moment, but overall yeah. I got it. Um, and then when you catch yourself starting to have go into like what you're saying, it's fight, flight, freeze, appease, whatever yeah. it is, and you're getting like a little tense. It's like to yeah. have, to have, a, to create a habit of behavior around how to exhale by practicing a certain yeah. sentences, right? Yes. And call it a habit. We always say that we create habits in order to succeed, not sabotage ourselves. So habits are super important. And to recognize that even the habits we now deem as negative or bad, they were created somehow they worked for us. They did something important for us at some point. So we don't want to slam them. We want to note them. Huh, I'm doing that thing again. <laughs> I'm using that word again. Huh, yeah. I mean, those, those potato chips again. Huh, yeah. that. Right. Why am I going back to the potato chips? I thought I was over that. <laughs> I am more stressed than I realized. Yes. So if you can build into that new habits in embracing it in that feeling of I'm adding in instinctive responses. So habits as like brushing your teeth. Well, I don't know. Should be a habit. Hopefully it's a habit. Brushing your <laughs> So that idea of building in the the exhale. I have a client who does a couple things. One, they put certain words wherever they can. And the other is they recognize their skier. And when they ski, they exhale as part of their technique. So she puts swoosh, swoosh, because she's like, swoosh, swoosh. So she feels that in her body when she gets heightened. Oh, that is such great. These are like great, great actionable tips, which I love. I love actionable tips versus just like theoretical, great ideas. So yeah, yeah. I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that so much. You know, on that same note, in terms of finding finding those words or finding those tricks, I know that you've done a lot of work with improv. Yeah, and um, you've taught students, which can't can't be fun. I I did improv, uh, gosh, since I was in uh, university, and um, I do it just because it's fun, not because I'm any good at it. But it it's fun to play and to have humor, and I find that. Uh, a lot of the people, a lot of the attorneys get very, very serious and in their heads and also unable to 
maybe listen and go with the go with it work with it do you have any improvisational um, experiences where you can bring i guess the lessons of improv into your work life yes and sometimes called applied improv okay. that so applying it to other areas versus just going to an improv show we All actually right. have a have a clubhouse room that's happening I believe it's happening right now, but I was doing this podcast instead of being in the clubhouse. So we have an applied improv weekly discussion of how to use improv and applied improv in our personal and professional life. Like how do we bring it in? So the idea that there's so many, I'm trying to I'm like, whoop, which one's helpful here? We are going to connect to that idea of truly listening. And one of the tricks to listening is to keeping our lips parted slightly, not guppy like, okay, but just a little bit, because what happens is we tend to get poised to respond. And in improv, if you get poised to respond, you actually miss the key thing that you need to respond to the thing that comes right before you, you're listening all the way back and responding to that you've missed the moment. I want to make sure that you as attorneys aren't dismissing all your training because the words matter. So that fine tuning of the messaging is super important and has huge repercussions. So I want to make sure that we say, yes, <laughs> there's a reason why we go to the head. The head is where we do that quick refining of moments and what's the exact word and what's the tone. A number of things will happen there versus being in our gut, our instinct. And yes, we have to have an instinct. I want to make sure that, of course, we have an instinct. And we want to be moving between the instinct and the head and that, that well, head, heart, instinct. So what's your heart feel and your head and then moving between all of them. The thing about improv is it makes it okay. You practice the listening and the immediate response without the edit. Now, the world today is not allowing full lack of editing, of course. It's really super, it's a super sensitive world right now. And I think rightly so. We're moving through some long overdue changes. <laughs> and so there is a sense of, for me, recognizing that there's language that I use that may not be appropriate and it's built into my response system. So I do need to be checking myself. I do need to be self-aware enough to notice that. It is creating a slight delay, uh, a little bit of looping that's happening. So I want to first honor that. It's not like we can just, well, unless we're doing an exercise where we're doing one word mm -hmm. and we're responding to that word. Right. So there is a fun activity. So Stephanie, if you say a word and then you say, and then you say my name, so say a word paper. Um, so, and I would say, and then say uh, paper, Hillary, and then say my name, paper, Hillary, paper, writing, Stephanie. And in an improv world, in this world that is virtual, you have to say people's names. If we were together in a room, you would so know I was about to call on you, <laughs> but you cannot feel that here. So the other thing is recognize in this virtual world, we are missing one of our greatest instincts, which is that sense of feeling each other. How many times you said, I knew you were gonna call on me. 
Hey, did someone just enter? Like all of that, we call it the spidey sense. Yeah. I want to honor that's missing. And that's a huge part of being spontaneous because you feel like you've sussed things out. We're now relying fully on visual. I'm not even looking at you right now. I'm looking at a camera, right? So I'm not even seeing you. When I'm down here, I'm seeing you, but you don't feel like I'm connecting. So I want to make sure, I know we're not all virtual, but that idea that it is different. So that word exchange with a group is great practice. And yes, there might have to be some editing depending on what word comes to mind. And that is one of the skills in the improv world is looking at what is coming to mind. Am I editing it? Why am I editing it? And in implied improv, we are all about the debrief. So improv is about being spontaneous, connected, listening, hugely being responsive to you, being in relationship, trusting you, you trusting me, being in dialogue in that not necessarily instantaneous, but that connection and response to. In applied improv, we would have the whole debrief on why you're holding. So what do you think is going on with holding your breath? Why do you think you have to edit? Do we have to edit? How many edit loops do you think you're doing? How many edit loops did you do last year? Right? So that debrief is the self-aware deepening using improv to explore our world. So it's not only about being in the moment and being spontaneous. It's about that self-awareness of why am I doing what I'm doing and that discussion. Yes. And is one of the, one of the most abused exercises and one of the most powerful exercises. Yes. Yes. to vote. (laughs) Right. So everybody. Yeah. So yes. And the idea behind yes. And is that I'm hearing you, I'm acknowledging you and I'm moving the energy forward. It doesn't mean I agree. And Uh when I work with attorneys who are starting to run for office, Mm. they have generally I have learned, and you tell me, I've learned that a lot of attorneys have learned to say, but to stop the argument and Big pivot. Butts. Big buts. Yes. Yeah. And you know, as coaches, we hate the word, but, cause there's no buts. There's no, there's no buts right. in coaching. There's always but, no buts in coaching. No big buts. <laughs> <laughs> and so how do we practice? It's instilled in us to stop the conversation and move it to a new angle. And this yes. And energy has a flow that feels out of control. And when you are trained to be super clear about the message and the argument, and this is what you said, and this is how I'm going to counter it, there is an energy that can be feel counter, right? It's like, wait a minute, that's not as helpful as I thought it would be. If you can play the word exchange game as a coach, it'd be great for you to do. What's the, so I say a word, and then you have the word and respond to it and toss it back. We are allowing ourselves to see where the stuck places are. One of the greatest things is where do I get stuck? Where do I not trust you? Where am I not trusting myself? So applied improv, play the games, the activities, the exercises, the structures, they have a zillion names. So whichever one doesn't offend you and play that, do that. And then discuss it. So it's not about, Hey, just go with it. Be free. Whatever comes to you. It's more interesting to go, huh? How come you pause there? Right. That. Yeah. I don't know. Is that helpful? That kind of went a different angle than you might've no, thought. But I think, I think, look, I think that's really good advice too, because again, you know, part of the, part of what I'm trying to do on the podcast is to, is to give women some tools to work with in the absence of having professionals right there to say, okay, well in your, in your little, in your group or in your, 
um, in your firm with the women attorneys, why don't you practice this this exercise yeah. and then ask each other because that will also help them build trust with one another. Right. And that you're good debriefing. You all are about that. You're about finding multiple layers beneath things. That's what you all do. So thinking about that, setting up the construct to create an environment that allows for that safety, create being courageous, being, you know, brave space. Yes. So as we're as as we're kind of like winding down, our time is going so it always does. It goes really quickly with these interesting, interesting conversations um, as a performer and somebody who does voiceover work and um, and also who trains others in all of this. What do you think is some some great, um, great gifts that you can offer our listeners in terms of having presence when they are feeling maybe awkward and weak? and um, having a real belief in themselves when they're feeling awkward and weak to overcome, to override those automatic responses. Because we talked about that, you know, your body, you automatically react with high pitch. These are some exercises. Is there any other tips or tools that you can offer yeah. before we sign off? Yes, keep me, keep me focused for sure, Stephanie. So <laughs> I want to invite that presence is a verb, not a destination. Ooh. If we are constantly adjusting and moving to remain in relationship, to remain in dialogue, to keep the trust growing, it's not a checkbox, it's a constant movement. And that I, and we bring presence into everything, whether it's a one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's facilitating, whether it's we're standing up in court and we're giving our, our peace, right? That whatever, and I just thought of like four different elements where that may happen. All of the different areas in our communication, do we choose to be present? Then we need to actively be in it and be brave and be curious and be self-aware. It's a constant movement, like balance. You don't have balance. You are constantly little muscles in your body keeping you in balance, right? There's not a set place, unless you're a little rock structure that you, you run into. We are not that, we're human beings. We're not. So that verb idea, and then that sense of one more thing, the breath, I'm just going to keep mentioning the breath. Everybody keep mentioning the breath and the tension, but the idea that you are not too much, be aware of how often you have adjusted how you show up in the world because you have been told either directly, indirectly from when you were young, that you are too smart, too driven, too powerful, too bossy to the T-O-O in front of a number of words. What happens is many of the women we work with hold back in order to not overwhelm. And then what happens is they lose presence because they're pulling back. They're not remaining in relationship and they're not pulling back because they feel less than they are pulling back because they're worried that they're too much. It lands, people interpret it as they aren't enough. And then it's confusing. Wait a minute. That's not how I'm feeling at all. I'm worried that I'm going to overwhelm you. And the exciting thing is to allow yourself to go, oh, I've been told I'm too much. Exhale, allow the breath to come in and allow yourself to remain present and in that relationship. Don't have to push, stay there and keep that verb of presence flowing and recognize you may be a lot and you're not too much. That is like the best 
<laughs> the landing, drop the mic, we're good. <laughs> if it can if it can help anyone readjust their their frame of reference for themselves so they can show up as more and be present there, yes, yes, yes. And it's so true what you say. You no, know, it reminds me if I'm hopefully my mom's not listening. But when I was growing up, my mom was very old fashioned. And if I would play tennis or ping pong or any game with, with a man or not a man, but a boy, she'd say, I'll make sure that they win because, you know, you don't want to be too good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just dawned on me as you were saying that. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and that's in there. That is in your muscle memory. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I appreciate those words uh, so much. Thank you so 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 very much for these amazing ideas and tips and your your um knowledge is knows no bounds in this area what what do you think the best ways are for people to connect with you should they want to after they listen yes i would please connect with me link with me on linkedin because i feel that helps all of us and please call us, contact us. We would love to have a conversation with you to support you, your team in any way. We love, uh, I've been a teacher for a long time. So <laughs> we're not supposed to say that, right? Really, I'm a consultant, right? With that idea of, yes, I love all of us being able to show up more and in any way I can support people to show up in their brilliance, we're there. Call us, contact us, come to our website, LinkedIn. Excellent. All of that, Hillary's contact information will be on the Glass Gavel podcast, and you can find our show notes there as well. Hillary, thank you so much for your time today. You are an amazing consultant and teacher, and we appreciate having <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate it. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel. Make sure to subscribe and rate us. For our show notes and information on upcoming episodes, visit our website at hergavel.com. And if you'd like more information about coaching, training, or any of my books, please send email to stephanie at hergavel.com. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode of Her Gavel, where we will continue to shadow the glass ceiling for women in law. Mm -hmm.